knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up to date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures 
protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigations, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 72 of Warden's Watch, Benny Richards, Texas Game Warden. And this is kind of by request. I had a couple requests uh, for this, which, yeah, that's that's pretty cool that we can actually put it together for a request, John, when, when listeners of Warden's Watch say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And a lot of them don't understand. We're, we got a lot of these things canned like six months out or even longer. At some point, we were a, a year with, with, with yeah. podcasts already canned. So we slide some in, we slide some in here and there, and we try to mix it up according to what our listeners want. And Benny Richards was requested, and Benny Richards is now an author, Tales of a Texas Game Warden, What My Eyes Have Seen, which is pretty engaging and probably a good Christmas gift coming up on Christmas. We're going to release this before Christmas. Uh, besides uh, A Cowboy in the Woods and Hidden War, uh, John, <laughs> we'll put uh, Tales of a Texas Game Warden on there as far as one of those yeah. books that maybe uh, Game Warden supporters or other Game Wardens will certainly want to purchase for th- their friends of like minds and conservation supporters all across the, the world. So, And he has, he, we talk about him being on Lone Star Law, very similar to our experiences, John, with uh, Wild Justice mm-hmm. and uh, Northwood's Law. Uh, just uh, He was an engaging person on that show, and he was an engaging interview. Uh, pretty cool to, to be able to reach out finally to Texas. Other, I don't want to forget about Joss Hurst, who we did a memorial. He, he was our, Texas, our first Texas game warden. Yeah. Uh, Benny's yeah, actually our it, second. It, it, that's why I hesitated. Yeah. I almost said our first Texas game warden, but uh, Josh Hurst was certainly our first Texas game warden on the the podcast. Yeah, no, and and spot on, Wayne Benny Benny, man, what a great career! You know, working in Texas, and the the thing that's so cool about um, having Benny on is he's done the Lone Star Law thing. He's been part of a big TV outreach and education thing, like mm. you with Northwoods Law and me with Wild Justice, but. The other thing about that's cool about Benny is the diversity of his state where he works. You know, yeah. Texas is one of the most progressive, well-funded, highly trained, and diversified on specialized teams for all the crazy issues they have down there. And you know, it's near and dear to my heart with the border issue and all the conservation things and the cartel smugglers they're getting into that we're dealing with internally. So um, great to have Benny on and great to see that he's got a book, man. I'm going to gobble mm. this thing up and I can't wait to read it. And uh, you guys are really going to enjoy getting a taste of Texas through the eyes of a guy that had a heck of a career and can speak really well about it. So um, great to have this brother from the Thin Green Line on and a uh, great episode. Yeah. And we're going to do a virtual book signing December 2nd. Uh, as well on our Patreon site. So if you guys are interested in getting your book signed live and in person, what we'll do is going to sign the book and then we'll ship it off to you next day. If you want it personalized, my co-author Lindsay Webb is going to be on there for A Cowboy in the Woods. John's going to be on there. So it's going to be a really good time on Patreon to sign these books, have some interaction with us and get them out for Christmas. So that's the point. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Certainly, uh, you know, another book that you should have on your list is uh, Tales of a Texas Game Warden. Episode 72, Game Warden, Benny Richards from Texas. Some of you guys may remember him from Lone Star Law. and certainly want to talk about that. And Benny also has a book out. So we're going to talk about that. So a lot of exciting things. Benny's recently retired. Got a lot to talk about that. And I, I think he kind of went down the same path I did because uh, that book fired right off. And I think that's going to be pretty exciting when books fire off. I just had one released two weeks ago, Benny. And it's I kind of did a different spin on a Game Warden book. I did a children's book, something to inspire the youth of uh, tomorrow and uh, future Game Wardens, to be honest with you, to try to inspire them to, to do what we did and, and have as much fun as we did. Well, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because I've got a children's book, too. I just haven't released it. So, oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're walking down the same trail. Uh, absolutely. No, that that's really cool. So we, we had the same thought process. So, But the book mm-hmm. you just released is uh, 
is pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Have you read it yet? I have not. I have not. And I should have okay. before this because generally when there's a new author. Here's um, a picture of it. Yeah. There's the cover. So Yeah. It's uh, the, the title of it is Tales of a Texas Game Warden. Nice. And it, uh, it's just a collection of 28 stories. There's really nothing special about them. It's just 28 stories that stuck out of my head when I started putting ink on paper. And uh, so far, the, the feedback's been really positive. It's not a really long book, and that's by design. I didn't want to bore anybody to death. I just, like I said, I put 28 stories out there I thought would be interesting. And so far, everybody said they've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, and I like that idea. Just quick, and the stories we have to tell are, are, are pretty uh Pretty cool, and they are pretty quick when you condense them. But can, can you share one of the stories? Give us a little teaser for the book. Uh, that well, the the actually the book starts out. The very first story in the book is actually a very serious story about when my partner Chris Freed was shot, mm-hmm. and uh, everything how we responded to the call and how we found him and got him to the hospital and how he survived and uh, you know he he. He made it through it. He's back on duty, but it's just a story from the time I got the call till the time that we got him in surgery in Dallas. And so it's a pretty intense story. The, the, the book is not that intense throughout, but I just wanted to start off with that story because in my career, that was one of the uh, stories that really affected me the most. Mm. No, that's, that's a good spot to start, Benny, for sure. John uh, Norris and I talk about, I was shot in the line of duty. He was involved in a shooting incident with his partner, was shot in the line of duty. So, you know, we certainly take those serious. And as much fun as I think the job was, it, it becomes very serious at certain times. And we always deal with people that have guns, knives, uh, and it's learning how to read those types of people in certain situations. But, yeah, there, there, there's... Yeah. Nothing like the adrenaline of those days when, when someone's shot in the line of duty and you're responding. That's a great way to start a book. And, and thank, goodness, thank goodness he survived because that's a, that's a story you want to tell. It, it's tough. I lost friends. Yeah. And, it was a close call. It was, yeah. a, it was a close call. Yeah. And, that, and that, this helps tell people how serious it is because they do see the, 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 the sides on our, our reality TV shows. They see the fun. They see the... They don't always see the intensity, but sometimes they do. So certainly yeah. uh, those cameras are there and responding to every accident you know, that we have. I know yeah. we had a couple where Glenn Lucas was hit with a 10-wheeler with a camera guy sitting right beside him. And we had another yeah. guy hit by an eight, you know, a side-by-side ATV about 60 miles an hour with the film crew and, and capturing yeah. all that serious stuff that we deal with day in and day out. I mean, I remember when... Northwoods Law first came on. I was on the, the first episode in New Hampshire over a drowning. And I had a lot of calls asking if it was fake. You know? And I, and I, I was yeah. like, it was yeah. kind of crazy that it was fake. And I couldn't believe <laughs> yeah. people thought well, I, that stuff was fake. Uh, did you have similar experiences? I did. Uh, actually, you know, Lone Star Law and all, it was really geared to be a family show, the Animal mm-hmm. Planet and all that. And uh, a lot of things they filmed with me ended up on the edit room floor because <laughs> uh, they were just, they were too intense for that show. I mean, actually right. we, you know, they actually were riding with a game warden and his wife who was also a game warden and they were involved in an officer involved shooting where someone was shot and killed. Uh, but obviously that's not going to be on a family show. Right. Uh, some of the things that we filmed. Yeah. We just, we knew it was never going to make it to airtime because of the intensity of it. And, People ask me the same thing. They said, "Did you? Is any of that, uh, you know, those lines fed to you? Is it rehearsed?" And I go, "No, it's what you see is what it is." And I told the film crew early on when they got in the truck with me, uh, I said, "I'm not changing anything." I said, "I'm going to be who I am, do what I do, because anything else wouldn't be real." So I, I told them, "I'm just going to be who I am, do what I do, and hang on for the ride." <laughs> yeah. And it was a ride. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no doubt, no doubt, and uh, it, it was overall was fun. I, I, you know, to start with, I think it was different. It was new. I'm glad I got to experience yeah. it in my tenure. I think the guys, but it's a lot of extra work that I don't think people say. Like you said, it ended up on the cutting room floor yeah. for those, you know, 15 minute scenes were hours and hours of filming, and I, I get people always used to ask me. Also, everybody was curious, like, how much do you get paid to do that? And when I tell them, I said, no, you don't understand. We don't get paid a dime. It's just we're on duty, and they're just kind of, you know, shadowing us and following along. We don't get any compensation for it. 
And that kind of took some people by surprise. You know, there's a, you asked me about the book and stories in the book. There's one chapter in the book that talks about how I became involved with Lone Star Law. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and give away some of my book. But uh, the way that all started for me was I was riding along my, my own business one day and my phone rang. And well, actually, it was a text. And they were talking about this new show called Lone Star Law. And they wanted volunteers to ride along with Game Warriors. And I thought it was a silly idea. So I deleted the text and just went on about my day. <laughs> And uh, about a week later, my captain called me back and said, hey, you know that text I sent out about Lone Star Law, that new show? And I go, yeah, I thought it was silly, and I, and I deleted it. And he goes, I knew you did. <laughs> he said, I, I want you to reconsider because it's going to be on nationwide TV, national TV, and we want some senior game wardens with some experience to represent our part of the state. And he said, I really want you. And after a little bit of salesmanship, he, can, he convinced me to do it. And I went to the, the organizational meeting where we, we – we, the producers and cameramen introduced themselves to us and us to them. And a week later, they were in my truck and, and the rest was history. But uh, yeah, I kind of, I shunned it at first, but I'm glad I changed my mind because as you know, it's, I made a lot of friends, had a lot of unique experiences and it was really a, it was really a good experience. I'm glad I did change my mind. Yeah. And when we had a previous discussion about Ben Shanks, one of the producers there, and, you know, I had Ben oh, yell man. at me, if you can believe that. He, he yelled at me and chewed me out. So you too. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Good. I'm glad I'm not yeah, the only one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've seen Ben's temper also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. it was just learning what they wanted. I, I was going, like you said, about what I would do, about what I normally was doing. And I assigned a team to go out for searching for a, a guy that was out looking for antlers and had gotten lost. And, you know, he sees a team of wardens walking away. He's like, what are they doing? I said, yeah, I signed them to do this. this. He goes, I need to know that. I need to know that so I can. <laughs> I can hear him saying that. I can hear him saying that right now. <laughs> oh, man. So I called those guys back, and we got a film crew with them, and we sent them all out together. And I learned from that point on to, to, to keep Ben in the loop of what was going on and, and how to do it. And so it, it was yeah. pretty good. But I did make him take all the main stickers. They had, you know, say started in Maine. They had main stickers all over their cameras. I'm like, peel those things off, man. <laughs> we, we're going to do a fresh start here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing against my brothers in Maine and sisters. They, they did an awesome job of blazing the trail. It was it was kind of funny to, to, to go back and forth, as you know, to get that relationship with those guys and, and have fun with them as well because they shared. They shared your experiences, why they were in the truck with you and why they're following you. And, you know, you get used to it. It's kind of weird that yeah. you get used to it. No one else does because you, as you're doing your job, but you get used to it. So, yeah, you, you had a similar experience with Ben, huh? Yeah, I uh... – well, there's a slang term that I won't use, but I, I got into a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you follow me. And he would, uh, at first, the first couple of seasons, they, you know, he knew me and I knew him. We kind of had a friendship going there. And, but they would leave and go to another part of the state. And then when I, we would do some catch-up, next time I see him, I'd say, he said, what have you been doing? I told him about these things I was getting into. It. His eyes bugged out. I said, why didn't you call me? Yes. And I go, why well, didn't? He said, and he gave me his card and he says, and he was mad. He said, I need to know yes. these things. <laughs> and he said, we, when something like that's going on and you know, previous, I mean, beforehand, I need to know. Oh. And so, yeah, I've heard exactly those words come out of his mouth. <laughs> great, great, great. And he had practiced chewing people out for sure. <laughs> yeah. But he, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. And he's a good friend. And I, I can I'm staying in contact with him a lot now. That's good. Yeah, and he's living he's in Texas. To, to my knowledge, he had bought a place when, when he yeah. was up here. And He's got a real nice, yeah, down in the hill country of Texas, a little town called Llano. Yeah. And it's a real, it's real pretty down there. Yeah. 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 No, he was excited to get down there and move down there and uh, excited to work with you guys. So, and, and now, Benny, uh, from now, from what I understand, and I'm seeing that Lone Star Law isn't going to be on anymore. Is that true? Uh, yes and no. Okay. There are, right now, everybody's all up and excited about a new law that just passed our our legislative session. That's what that I'm hearing. Barred, barred police agencies from in Texas from contracting with these live police shows. Mm -hmm. But that law specifically, as I understand it, that law specifically exempted Texas game wardens. Wow! <laughs> Excellent. So, Good news. For a reason. Yeah. So it exempted us. But I also hear that they're in the final year of their contract with with our agency, mm -hmm. so it was gonna, you know, it was it was coming to an end anyway. Right. But that but that law is not the reason why it won't be on air anymore. It's just they've simply been here for I don't know five or six years now. And 
I guess everything changes and they're moving on. Right. So, I know that they're working on a new season right now. So you, you'll get to see some more Lone Star Law. Nice. Nice. No, that, 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 that's good news for sure. And thanks for clarifying that because everything I had read, it sounded like it, it was the end by legislation. But that was, that's, I, I mm-hmm. hadn't heard that yet. So it's good to hear it from you that it was, that it was exempt because it's such an, you know, we, we do so much education as game wardens as well as law enforcement, whether it's hunter education, whether it's outdoor education. It, it's part of our, part of what we do. And I think these TV shows blended extremely well with letting the public, because, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, everybody knew what a game warning was and what they did. And we've kind of moved away from that. So I think we're reintroducing the world to what we do. And, and I'd like to keep them up to date on what's going on because we are, we are definitely changing as, as we charge on into the future. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. As far as Texas Game Awards go, what I find is a lot of people thought they knew what a Texas Game Award did. And they, some of them had a pretty good idea, but they didn't know. I mean, in Texas, we're, you know, peace officers also. And so we enforce all types of laws and make a lot of arrests and different citations outside of conservation law enforcement. Right. And uh, that opened a lot of people's eyes. I meet people and they say, wow, until I saw that show, I had no idea that, you know, Game Warns did what y'all do. Mm. And so that was, that was a good way of educating people here, at least in Texas, as to what the Texas Game Wardens, our responsibilities really are. Mm. So you've been on TV, you've written a book. How'd this all start, Benny? I mean, can we go back to when, when Benny Richards wanted to be a Game Warden? <laughs> I, will tell you, uh, I will tell you the first time, I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it. When I, the first time I ever saw a Game Warden in my life, I was sitting on the bridge rail of a highway where the, there was a, a river running underneath, underneath the highway, and I was sitting on the guardrail. And I had a 22 rifle and I was shooting snakes and frogs and rocks and whatever below me. And I lived in a very, very rural area. I mean, this is one of those bridges where, you know, two or three cars a day come by. So I wasn't worried about it. And I, all of a sudden I heard a car, didn't even pay any attention. And well, the car stopped on the bridge right beside me. And as I turned and looked, I saw the great big seal of Texas on the side of the door. <laughs> and the window slowly rolled down and this big burly gentleman in a uniform introduced himself as a game warden and asked me what I was doing. And I, 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 I was kind of, and I said, well, I, you know, I was shooting rocks or whatever down. He said, boy, don't be shooting that gun off this road anymore. And he just rolled the wind up and drove on. And I, of course I left immediately, but that made a a huge impact on me. I was really impressed by that guy. He he never even got out of the car, but I never shot a gun off a road again Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that, that first encounter with a game warden left an impression on me. And uh, that's kind of the, my first interaction with a game warden. And Growing up, I mean, I lived in a rural area on a little farm, and that's what I did. I hunted and fished. My eyes were open. I was daydreaming about hunting and fishing somewhere. I mean, and when I got into school, high school, I would show up with hip waders on that I would take off and throw in the back of my truck and slip my tennis shoes on and run into the high school five minutes late about every other day because I'd been out you know, duck hunting that morning or something. It just, that was just a lifestyle for me. I really love the outdoors. And uh, as I got older, I got into college. At first I thought about becoming a coach and going in the teaching field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had some other friends that did that. And it seemed like they were always moving and I wanted something a little more stable. I never left my, you know, my enthusiasm for the outdoors and hunting. And anyway, I ended up uh, being a police officer in uh, Richardson, Texas. And I did that for about three years. And uh, while I was a police officer, I started trying to get into the game warden academy. And my first attempt was unsuccessful. And I had to wait. And they were, at the time, they were only taking classes about every two and a half or three years. So I had to wait almost three years, applied again, got accepted the second time. And the rest is history. They, they gave me a gun and a badge and a truck and sent me to a little bitty county in Texas called Delta County. It was really close to my home anyway, so I knew my way around. And I, I hit the ground running and uh, never looked back. 
and it was uh, a very, very exciting career. Yeah, no, no doubt. Can you think of one of those cases, uh, the one on your early years that stand out in your mind? I mean, some of the best cases I made was probably tripping it over in my first three years and, you know, accidentally jumping into things. And uh, my lieutenant would always try to guide me, but I'd always go on a different trail and I'd do things differently than he did. And I'd find, I'd catch people that he didn't catch. And I found that as a lieutenant, the same thing with younger guys, just Mm -hmm. they'd always ask me what to do. And I'd say, I I don't want to tell you what to do. I want you to find your own way because you're going to look at a a poacher differently and you might catch him because I did it. So, and I, I found that's yeah. pretty interesting to watch. You know, along the way, I guide them a little if they were getting off the trail too bad, but just a, a fresh view. I, I love those younger years. There was, when I was the rookie game warden, there is one, and actually it's a very long story. I can give you the short version, but it, it was, it happened over, you know, all through the night. But I'd, I'd gotten a call early in the afternoon from a gentleman who said that he watched uh, a guy shoot a deer off the road in his pasture near his house. And uh, they had had some kind of a confrontation, but they got the culprit had left the scene. Okay. But he got his license plate. Number. So later on, this was the opening day of the deer season. And so later on, when things slowed down and uh, I could have just waited until in, in the morning and went and looked for the guy, but I did. I left, uh, I left the sheriff's office with uh, my partner in tow and I was about midnight and we were going to an, a, another city about 20 miles away to run this guy down and interview him about, you know, his part in shooting this deer. So it's about midnight. And here again, it's kind of a confusing story, but I ended up making a traffic stop on a little car on the interstate en route to this other town. When I stopped this car, I didn't realize it, but it was a taxi cab and it was it had left Dallas, Dallas, Texas, and it was en route to Texarkana. And if you, if you know anything about that part of the state, you're looking at over 200 miles. Not many people take taxi cab rides, you know, 200 miles. So I knew I said something was up and I still had that police mentality because I'd been a police officer three years just prior to this. And so I got the driver out and we, after a little short discussion, I opened the trunk and after looking in the trunk, I got suspicious. I called a canine unit to the scene and we found about a quarter million dollars worth of cocaine hidden in the trunk of this taxi cab. So that right there was a, a pretty good lick. And so we impounded the car and arrested the passenger and took him to jail, did all the paperwork. And that would have been a good night if we'd have just, you know, dusted off our hands and went to the house, but we didn't, <laughs> we got through the jail about one or two in the morning and we went to the poacher's house and we got him out of bed. And before we left his house, we had seized five deer that he had <laughs> killed. So, yeah, when we got home, the sun was coming up and we had a lot of evidence and a lot of reports to do, but it was a, a very eventful night for two rookie game wards. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love that. I love that first 24 to do those interviews at midnight and getting them out of bed. And when yeah. I was a trainee, it was so funny. I was working my, my mentor, so I, I grew up and Sergeant Brian, I started riding with him at 15. So I was actually training with him as a trainee. And uh, we had a, a same thing, a deer shot in the field, and a guy reported it. He gave us a lousy description. But we went to some apartment houses that were in the area. And by chance, I, it was a Ford, and it had a couple of the numbers. But he had reported a Dodge with, you know, with, with a bad plate. But he reaches in. I, actually, I dropped him off. He walked through the parking lot. He reaches in. He comes back with blood on his hands, fresh blood. And then we hit that apartment. That's house. a clue. Yeah, yeah. And but it was like a needle in a haystack. But just knowing where to go. And I remember hitting it at like one o'clock in the morning. And the guy answers in his boxer shorts. And he said, "Hey, let me do the talking here." He opened that door, and the first thing he's like, "Where's the deer? Where's the deer?" Yelling at the kid, and he goes, "It's not here!" And he raises his hands. <laughs> but it was, you know, that time frame, one o'clock in the morning, uh, answering the door in your boxer shorts, and there's the game warden, and he's firing off, where's the deer? And, you know, honest answer came flying out of his mouth right away. Uh, so sometimes... Yeah. Caught him off guard. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and and the first 24, no matter if it's a homicide or any kind of case, and I always say, you know, deer and moose care, killed, it, it's kind of, it's like a homicide. We treat it as a homicide. We investigate it like a homicide. We collect evidence, forensics evidence, just like they do on CSI, and uh, we, we carry that whole case, to, you know, right through. So I think it's, we're, we just have such a unique job that has so many facets, and it's so interesting. But hitting those guys at 1 o'clock in the morning, they, it, it, boy, it takes them off their feet when they see the game warden there, and we know that they know we mean business yeah. I, I love that story we we, we get uh, you know a quarter yeah. of a million in cocaine on the way to do a deer investigation and then you put the cherry on yeah. top with five deer oh my goodness that's that's a great rookie story <laughs> oh yeah that, that, of all you know my 25 years that that one story i mean if anybody asks me will tell me it always comes to mind because there was just so much involved that, yeah, it was two really good cases and uh, completely opposite ends of the law enforcement spectrum, drugs on one end and dead deer on the other. But but it was a lot of fun, and I took a lot of pride in those arrests. Yeah, and I think the youth helps too because, yeah, you're out there, you're just starting, and those cases mean so much to you when you break the ice mm-hmm. on such major cases. I mean, five deer alone would have been an enormous case for a game warden. And I've never to mention the drugs on the way. Oh, Yeah. And, you know, looking at my career, it's not it's not uh, surprising to me that it took place at night because I was a night owl. I always I used to love working at night because I figured out early on that, you know, your worst of the worst, the worst violators, they like to do their dirty deeds under the cover of darkness. So if you were going to make a you know, I could go out and check fishing licenses and write, you know, the little class C misdemeanor right. citations all day long. But I rock those big cases, and I, I found over my career that one, two, three o'clock in the morning is when, if you're out there prowling around and you find something going on, it's usually something pretty good. Yeah, like your grandmother yeah. used to say, nothing ha- good happens after midnight. There's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know how many taillights after midnight, you know, come into a DWI or an illegal deer or illegal drugs or, or whatever. Cause you're right. Nothing good happens after midnight. And those are people want to work under cover of darkness. They, 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 they feel comfortable there. So that's when we should be working as well. And it's hard being a game morning cause there's so many things to do in the morning, in the evening, you could work 24 hours a day, five days a week, uh, if you could, but there's certainly the activity mm-hmm. there. But you're right. I think uh, yeah. the, the the important stuff those those deer cases those those big cases are happening after dark. So and you just proved it with that that case for sure. Oh, that that that's cool. How about funny cases? Uh, anything that you know strikes you as uh, b- being uh, throughout your career as as an entertaining uh, story? You you must have put one in that book too because uh, there's nothing better. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Game warden. You need. To- you need to you need to read the book. Apparently, we'll leave that at you. The book. You got one that you didn't put in the book. <laughs> well, I, I I don't have a a funny. Well, I do, but I will tell you a funny uh, situation. Uh, my partner Chris Freed, the one that I told you he got shot. We talked about him, but he was. I mean, me and him worked together late in my career more than any other game work. And we had this unique uh, good guy, bad guy. You know, when you talk about questioning people, I mean, we just knew our roles, and it, it was. It was so funny to watch this work, but uh, we had a situation one month where we there was a small city lake in the surrounding area where there were a lot of problems. And so we decided that we were going to start working late at night and get this cleaned up. And anyway, like, I guess three or four contacts in a row, we would go up there and we would witness the violation and we would contact the person and we started questioning them. Like this one in particular, a guy was trespassing. And we'd gotten a complaint and we went up there and he had a dog with him. And I rolled up. We didn't even get out of the truck. I rolled the window down and he came up to the truck and he was laughing. And he was just a calm. He didn't, you know, he, I guess trespassing didn't even enter his mind. And we thought we had a short conversation with him. And uh, Chris said, uh, hey, what you going to do with that dog? And he goes, what do you mean? What am I going to do with it? And I said, well, you're going to have to put him somewhere where you're in jail. And as soon as I said it, the guy passed out. <laughs> he literally passed out and fell on the ground. We got I thought he had a heart attack. And uh, so and then the very next contact, we had a guy with some drugs and we were sitting there talking to him and filling up his pockets and stuff. And I pulled something out of his pocket. Chris said something to the effect, well, whoop, there's a trip to jail. And the guy passed out, fell out on the ground. <laughs> so there for a while, we said, we're going to have to calm our questioning techniques down because we're putting these people to sleep. 
<laughs> they're oh. just passing out on them. But that was pretty funny to see somebody, you know, face plant over something we said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that goes, that goes back to what you were saying is about how unexpected it is in the middle of the night when you don't think anybody's around. And suddenly out of the darkness, a game warden walks up and starts asking questions. Uh, that'll, that'll put the fear of God in some people. Yeah. And cause them to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no doubt. No doubt for sure. So you had some criminal cases. Any, any high-profile cases? You know, I think some of us get involved with murder cases. and Yeah, that, I was just, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, uh, I can't tell you what year it was. It was uh, probably 2008, nine, somewhere around there. I've got, I was out working it was during deer season. I was working, and, I, and dispatch called me and said that they had a reported hunting accident and someone had been shot. And so it was on, it's like it's always, it's on the other end of the county. So it took me, you know, quite a while to get there. But when I got there, there sure were, there was a gentleman and he was, deceased he'd been shot in the chest with a high-powered rifle so we started you know it was kind of chaos because there were a lot of local folks that showed up before we did mm -hmm. so we kind of got control of the scene started trying to get gather witnesses and i'd ask you know who reported this and they said the gentleman's uncle had called it in i said well where is he at and they said we don't know he left and said, what do you mean he left <laughs> and so right off the bat something didn't didn't add up but anyway uh as it turned out it wasn't an accident and later on, it ended up with me, the sheriff of the county, and a Texas Ranger serving a search warrant on a home. And uh, we found the weapon that killed this gentleman hidden in a barn. So that was a pretty serious situation. It turned out reported as a hunting accident, which it was anything but an accident. And ended up a family member got charged in relation to that gentleman's death. So that was pretty high profile. And, you know, I always remember that case. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's <laughs> And I think a lot of, we, we start taking a serious look at hunting related shootings because it could be a homicide. So we got to, we got to rule that yeah. out, you know, make all those connections. That's what I always told people. Anytime I would go up to any kind of uh, a death that was unattended, uh, people just show up because they think they know, know what's going on. I said, Don't do that. Right. Uh, make sure you know what, cross all your T's, dot your I's and check everything out before you just assume something happened because I've been fooled before, and it's not a good feeling when you're when you you know you're leaning one way, thinking you know something, then you find it's pointed out to you later that how wrong you were. So you really have to do a thorough investigation, whatever it is. Right, and if it does change, if you've done a thorough investigation, you can back go back to it. You've got all the evidence that was there to collect it, all the photos, all the video, you know, what what whatever you need. So right. if, if if it takes another trail that you can go back and actually look at it and, and see if that if the evidence fits that, which, yeah, I learned that early on right. too, is to get as much evidence as you can because it's once it's gone, it's gone. So yeah, and you can't have too much evidence. No, I mean, if you need it, you got it. If you don't need it, well, you had it anyway. Yeah, and I, I think you saw it too. The having these phones that actually take pictures and take video electronically have been such a game changer for us because I was back when we actually used film and the department never wanted to you know get it developed because that costs money so I would mm -hmm. take all these pictures and, and then I'd have to fight with getting them developed and so with electronic images we first had the digital cameras that I you know I could only take what I needed and save the rest on a file electronically somewhere else and then even better we got these phones with we can videotape with we can take audio recordings so if we're doing an interview you can throw your phone in the center it's recording these it was just a, a game changer that was such a game changer yeah. in my tenure and I'm sure you saw that too yeah, Wayne, you sound just like me. Early on in my career, I was taking those those pictures and going down and getting them developed and trying to get my money back. And I decided that was – I just paid for it out of my pocket. <laughs> you know, I, I paid for a lot of film development. But but then, yeah, when we got those phones – but I will tell you, the phones were game changers, but it was good and it was bad. <laughs> yes. Because when you're out ch chasing night hunters around and you got two of them in the car and two of them out in the field, and they all got cell phones mm. and they're talking back and forth. Uh, are you, you know, back in the old days before cell phones, you could go talk to a witness and then get some information and go to someone's home. You know, well, now you talk to this witness on the way to the home, they've already called him and say, hey, he's coming and here's what's on his mind. So, yeah, they, they're good, but they can't, they, they're bad in some ways too. Uh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even, 
you know, uh, throwing a decoy out there and running a decoy, guys, you know, it was that, that message. Once you got one guy that saw it or made it or, or shot it, he would text all his buddies that where you were at and everything. And you had basically one bite at the apple where you used to be able to leave it all day long and never had an issue. You'd have new people all the time. But it would be, you know, everybody in that area would already know where you were set up and you'd have to go yeah. leave, go to the next county or something. Got a got a quick story about that. One time, me and a game warden, we had a lot of complaints below Cooper Lake Dam, the tail race area where they were letting water out of the dam. Well, there were a lot of people going back there and uh, using nets, and they were taking you know, hundreds of pounds of fish, and they were doing it late at night, and we knew it. And so one night, me and this game warden got on the back of the dam. It's really steep. They hadn't mowed in a little bit, so we had a little bit of weeds to we were laying in waiting for them, and here comes a minivan down the road and they get out and it was just like an assembly line. Everybody knew what they were doing. One guy had two buckets and two other guys had nets. And this girl came walking up the back of the dam and she had a cell phone, but she walked right up within 20 feet of us and just stood there and never saw us. But she was the lookout, you know, in case game warden started coming, she was to call them on the cell phones. Well, they got down there and they would, like I said, it was, it was a pretty organized deal. They would throw the net, take the fish, put them in the buckets, whistle at her. She would go down and get the bucket, take it to the top of the dam and set it next to the guardrail. And then she'd go back to her post. And they just kept doing this until there were eight or 10 buckets up there by the guardrail. Cause there was a road up on the top of the dam. And what they were going to do is leave with no evidence, but then go around and get on the highway and come back and then stop, get their buckets, put in the trunk and go. Problem was there was two game wardens laying in the weeds watching all this. So when they got through, they had all their buckets staged. They all went and got in the van and took off down the lower road. But when they did, we went and got their buckets and moved them about 30 yards down. And so and we waited. You asked about a funny story. This is funny because they, they came up and they stopped and they got out and opened the trunk or opened the side door. And they all got out and the buckets were gone. And so they started yelling at the girl and she said, no, they're right here. They're right here. And they were yelling at her, yelling at her, yelling at her. We, we, we let them give her a pretty good shot before we come out said oh boys we know where your buckets are <laughs> and they were full of crappie and, and bass and you know a lot of game fish but uh yeah she was she had her cell phone and then had we not been there if we showed up coming down the road right you know they had to throw all the fish back in the, back in the water and we'd have never made a case yeah uh, you know watching people and getting all that evidence prior to is priceless. And that's probably half the reason I named, you know, this podcast Warden's Watch, because we do so much watching before we get it. You know, you get all that evidence, you, you take all that in. Um, and I've, I think I've said this on the podcast, my former sergeant, Mike Moody, the only thing he wanted when he retired was his binoculars. And I was like, they're beat up, they're old. Why, why do you want it? And it's kind of like the title of your book. You know, he's like, you know what I've seen through these binoculars, Wayne? You know what these binoculars have seen? Uh, that's why I want them. Wayne, I can't even believe you said that. <laughs> this brings up another story that just happened. So if you've watched Lone Star Law, there's one, one show where they actually they show me looking through some binoculars. There's only, it's a monocular because the other half has fallen off. <laughs> and so it's only half a binocular, and I'm using that. And everybody's asking me, well, why don't – and I said, because I've, he's been with me since day one. And, you know, I'm not going to give up on them. They stuck with me. I'm sticking with them. And I so I used those. Well, uh, I was a victim of COVID last summer when I retired. They had a big retirement party for me and all, but it got canceled. So we just had it this past weekend. And anyway, my captain, Steve Stapleton, he uh, he got up and roasted me a little bit, as you can imagine. I could imagine. Well, I had a gift for him. And I said, well, here, and I gave him his gift. And it was wrapped in a pink box with a pink bow. And uh, he opened it up, and it was that half of his binoculars. I said, those are yours now. Oh. Anyway, he ran home. He, he took a picture later that night. He had them up on his mantle with all his other little keepsakes. So, uh, yeah, I gave, up my, I gave up my half a pair of binoculars to him. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's so true, and it defines us, I think, as, as wardens, because those are the good cases that we made, the ones we watched. And, and then, we, then we moved in. Then we apprehended. We, we saw the play. We saw where she left the fish. And we, we yeah. apprehended because we were watching. So, so important, you know, like I said, Warden's Watch. That's, that's why I labeled it that because that's what we do. That's what the good cases are. And you just, just like Sergeant Mike Moody, you just labeled it again. That, seen a lot of things through those binoculars. You, you did it with your book. 
Yeah, we, we, we see a lot through our careers, and it's, it's so unique. When I look at other law enforcement officers and what they do, and I just I can't even put myself in their shoes because we change so much. And you don't have as many seasons, but you have the diversity that we do. When you guys do search and rescue, you jump in on that, and we're the, kind of the police in the woods. And it just it, it changes mm-hmm. so much from, from fishing to hunting to search and rescue missions to, and, and you guys have a lot of other things down there being so close to the border. I'm sure you've had a lot of interactions exactly. with, you know, those types of things. If you want to share those, that would yeah. be pretty awesome because that's, well, I, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I made several, probably maybe more than anyone in the state when I was working, uh, I was sent to the border to do border operations. So yeah, that's a, that's a mess down there. And we could talk all day long about that, but that that's a mess. But you taught you you said something about Texas game wardens, and that's one thing that's unique about Texas. We're so big, and when you get out to the western part of the state, I was I was stationed out there for a few years, and I actually had two counties that were thirty six thousand miles, and a lot of those wardens out in West Texas, whenever the sun goes down, they are the law enforcement for the county. Period, mm. because there may not be but two deputies, you know, working in that whole county, and you know they get off at five or whatever. And until the sun comes back up, the only law enforcement out there in that county is the Texas Game Board. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they answer family violence calls. They go to accidents, uh, burglaries, shoplifting, whatever happens during the night, they call the Texas Game Board because they're the only ones available. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's one unique thing about Texas. It's just we're so big and so spread out. And, and out there in the west part of the state, a, a game warden has a lot of uh, a lot more responsibility because he's just got so much that. You know, he's the only one that can is available if something comes up. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mm. And, th- and that's part of their responsibilities when, when there's nobody else to respond to the criminal stuff as well? Yeah, because they, they tell you, and we're trained that way, especially out there that, well, anywhere in the state, but it, more so out there, that is your own duty 24-7, 365. Mm. Now, I mean, you have hours and paperwork that you have to turn in, but you're expected that if something comes up that requires attention, regardless of what day it is, regardless of what time it is, you're expected to, to answer that call. And like you said, it, it may have nothing to do with hunting and fishing in the environment. It may be, you know, a fight at a bar where someone's been stabbed. It, you, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. But if you're the only one available and they call and you're called to assist, you're expected to go. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a little bit different, but you're right. When we're the only ones, we respond as well. But hopefully there's a trooper coming behind us to, so we can hand it all off because we, we'd rather not do the criminal side. We've got plenty to do on our own side. There has been plenty of cases that we've taken the criminal stuff, um, especially with the drugs on the mine, on the on the bo- bottom end of it. But, yeah. yeah, so that is very unique. And I'm sure, you know, nationwide there's probably other agencies that certainly do that. Um, certainly if the closer, you know, when you hear something, I'm – I know we just had two wardens uh, respond, uh, not knowing it was a homicide, but it was a homicide where they decapitated uh, the victim. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they were the, the first ones there. And, and they, it was just an illegal camping call. And that's what the types of things that, huh. you know, as you know, you, you can have one call and it turns to the other. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and that, in that case is, uh, yeah, it's going to get adjudicated hopefully within the year and stuff. And then hopefully we'll do an interview about that because that was a – that was a pretty uh, sketchy call when, when it all came together and you figured things out. Yeah, and, sounds like it. yeah. but you know, we are the, when it comes off the, uh, the pavement, generally we're the law enforcement and especially when the locals know that we operate good in the woods, they're always reaching out to us. Hey, they went in the woods, call the game warden. <laughs> yeah. And they'll also, you know, uh, as far as, and I'm sure you're all the same way. We have a lot of equipment mm. that other agencies may not have. Right. If, uh, you know, to a trooper responds to a, a wreck where, you know, a car went off a bridge into the water. Well, troopers don't have boats, but game wardens do. So we, yeah. we would get the call to come, you know, use our dive team if there's a, a drowning or, or whatever, our boats to get out to this vehicle and help remove it. Uh, 
if it's uh, something where it's really muddy, we have four-wheel drive trucks and, and you know, four-wheelers and ATVs and those types of equipment that maybe these other agencies don't have. So they'll call on us to assist them mm-hmm. in whatever they need. Did you so, have a lot of water in your area? Because when I think of Texas, I just think of tumbleweeds and desert and, you know, that's and what, Rio Grande. It's like that's I said, about it. <laughs> Texas is a huge, huge state. We've got, we got oceans, we've got mountains, we've got deserts, we've got forests and everything in between. But the area of the state that I work mostly in has more water than any part of the state, actually. Nice. There, are, there are, I don't know, five major lakes within 30 miles of my house, and there's two more being built right now. So They're building uh, lakes. Yeah, they, yeah they, well, they just – one's filling up right now. They just closed the dam, and it's about three-quarters full, and they just broke ground and doing the dozer work on another one. They just, they just broke ground a couple of weeks ago. So we've got water everywhere. <laughs> wow. That's cool that Texas yeah. is building lakes. That that that's really cool. And then they sell lots adjacent to it, and then you got waterfront, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kinda of, yeah, that's a sticky issue there. Some people like the lakes, some people don't like the lakes. I mean, if you had to give up your family farm mm. in order to build a lake to send water to Dallas, you're not real happy, and I understand that. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, there's there's half of the people that are, are in, you know, uh, behind the lakes and half of them like, no, I'd rather have my farmland. Yeah, so, totally understand the changing world we live in. You know, certainly uh, water. Yeah, the, the population population of Texas is just exploding. I mean, yeah. people moving here from California and other states uh, for whatever reason, and Dallas. It's just, I mean, well, all the cities are just exploding in population. Traffic's terrible, mm. uh, but that's the negative part of it. <laughs> yeah, and that overflows to Texas outdoor is a recreation. Good place, but we got our problem. What's that? And that overflows to outdoor recreation because a lot of those people coming oh, yeah. in and now they fish, they hunt, they boat, uh, they do all those things. Yeah. Your True job story. is busier. My last uh, year of checking dove hunters in early September, just over a year and a half ago, uh, those same fields that I was checking dove hunters in, if you go out there right now, it's houses as far as you can see. No more farmland. They've been... Uh, they were paved over with streets and roads and uh, concrete pads and houses sitting on just as far as the eye can see. No more, no more dove hunting for that area. And that's, uh, that's going on a lot right here in my, my part of Texas. Mm. Yeah. Dove hunting is a big thing in Texas, isn't it? Yeah. In part, in parts of the state it is. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be almost like. Anyway, I mean, it, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, that it, traditionally it's always opened on September the 1st and, you know, I don't even know why we had school on September the first because half of the male population of the school you know we're going to take at least half the day off to go dove hunting that opening day if it, if it landed on a weekday yeah so it's yeah, almost so. like the opening day of deer season in pennsylvania where they act schools close <laughs> or they yeah. used to <laughs> yeah. I, I think they just moved well, the opening I, I, was, day I remember was growing up i was yeah but september 1st was always a big day because it was like the opening day of dove season yeah. and then all the other seasons just started opening one after another so it was kind of like the traditional opening of hunting season period mm-hmm. let alone dove. if it was a weekday and i had school well i just have to mark me tardy or absent because <laughs> i was, I was going to get my birds <laughs> that's awesome and you guys have a lot of exotics i mean when i when i drove when i was down there you could see all these farms and everything that had exotics and it's very different you know than the east you have to have a place to, to hunt correct i mean you just can't go out on private property and hunt down in texas or can you well, you can as long as no one cares, but the problem is everyone <laughs> the problem is everyone cares now. Yes. And so yeah, that's the biggest that people ask me, well, what's the biggest issue problem? And we've got some, but mine is a lack of place to hunt that you can afford. Right. Uh, because everybody's, you know, everybody wants to charge money now and, and there, the more people creates more competition. Mm-hmm. And the more competition and you throw money in there, it's just hard to find a place that you can afford in Texas. And we, we've got some, uh, you know, a lot of public hunting land that's pretty good hunting. But here again, crowding gets to be a problem at times. So just the lack of, and the lack of an availability of a, of a, you know, a quality place to hunt is getting to be a problem. Mm. No, and you, you, now you can, like I said, as far as the law goes, you, you, can, you need to get at least verbal permission. You don't have to have written permission on your body. But... If a game warden shows up and says, hey, do you have permission and he wants to follow up on it, you, le- you need to at least be able to give him a name and a phone number so he can call and verify that you've got permission. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
being caught without permission, depending on what you're doing or what you kill, can be a felony. If you take a white-tailed deer without landowner permission, it's a it's a state jail felony. So pretty serious charge. Yeah, I'd say so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah by all means. Yeah, that need opened my permission. Eyes. Yeah, and and today nowadays with a lot of late in my career, I started getting a lot of calls because of the game cameras. Mm. You know, everybody starts using game cameras now. Well, they catch a lot of things besides the deer and the ducks and whatever they catch poachers too right and so i'll some guy i'll go up there and he said hey i want to press charge on this guy he's something on my place and i look well, you know you recognize this guy he goes yeah it's my name and i uh, he got caught on a game camera and so best to have permission uh, absolutely absolutely uh, yeah in the northeast that we have a lot of open land still so it's pretty different especially when i was going out west and learning all the r- different laws and regulations and texas always strikes me as, as i'm driving down and i can see a, a giraffe's head in, a, in the distance or a, a zebra and stuff and i'm like you know th- there's no place else in the country i don't think you can do that benny i mean really uh yeah and that's and that's mostly it's not i mean we have it here here locally I, I, there's a couple places a few places but mainly that's going to be in the hill country and in South Texas. And that's where, where I was, these, the hill country. So you know, you know, if you'll notice also, there's a lot of high fences everywhere. Yes. And that's to uh, enclose those exotic animals. No, nope, mm-hmm. def- definitely interesting. But that's, that's certainly where I was uh, in that hill country. It's kind of funny what you call hill country too, compared, <laughs> compared to what I'm used to is, yeah. is hills. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> everything is relative people people are really really surprised though they say well i'm surprised the first time i ever saw them that texas does have a mountain there way out in far west texas we've got some really impressive mountains but you got to go 800 miles (laughs) to see them they are way 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 out west but uh we 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 do have some mountains that would compete with any other mountains yeah but i know what you're saying about the hill country they're small hills (laughs) rolling compared to what you're used to yeah, yeah. <laughs> but compared to the, the the middle part of the country, I'm sure there are hills. Oh. <laughs> but you, in te- in Texas, you drive you know three or four hours, you're going to be in a completely different environment. We've got what we call uh, the uh, pine curtain, and if you leave the hill country and you drive three hours east, at some point around east of Interstate 35, you're going to cross through the pine curtain. And then I, I don't even like it down there because I get claustrophobic. There's just pine trees and I can't see. And I like to be able to see the hills and <laughs> the valleys and what's around the next curve. And there it's just pine trees everywhere. Huh. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's neat. No, so we, we, we do. We, we literally have forest, uh, prairies, mountains, yeah, seaside. I mean, the, the oceans, we've got it all. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty awesome. And it's so big, you would think it would be the worst, so. No, real interesting conversation, Benny. Can you talk about your children's book, or are you going to wait until you release it? Oh, yeah, I can talk about it a little bit. It's it's yeah. it's a here again. It's short. It's a it's only four the four stories. Yeah, uh, that I came up with, and the stories are fictional accounts of why the Earth is why is what it is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One story talks about uh, how all the different birds and animals got their colors, and the flowers and the trees, why they're different colors. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. It's uh, you'll have to read the book to figure out how it all happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, my favorite story of the book is is a story called "A Catfish Like Me," and it's kind of got a moral to it about uh, someone who boasts a lot. What might happen to you if you you know if you're too boastful? But here again, you're just going to have to read the book. Uh, the book is titled "Furry Tales." I love it. And uh, like I said, it's uh it's four, it's four four stories, and it's it's kind of geared towards your first grade, second grade, third, fourth, maybe fifth, that, that age group. Cool. And I pick it up from there with a cowboy, a cowboy in the woods from uh, fourth to about 10, I would think. But yeah, uh, I was looking I, I was kind of doing some research, trying to look at your book and some of your other podcasts, trying to read about it. Yeah. So I'm going to have to get that and look at that. Yeah. Maybe we can trade books. That, that would be good. There you go. That would certainly That'd be a like, good idea. I, I put the books behind me. I have John Norris's back there with a big old marijuana leaf on it. And I don't know how many questions I teach college too. So during zoom, I'm like, any questions in the end? And one, one kid says, uh, yeah, Lieutenant, um, why do you have a marijuana, a book with a marijuana leaf on your, <laughs> on your, on your <laughs> backdrop? And I'm like, well, that's because yeah. that's, that's John Norris's book, my partner. So I'm about the hidden war. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm looking at your background there, and I'm really – I didn't do it, and I don't know what – well, I think I may have uh, some of the other words took – I wish I would have taken pictures of my office before I cleaned it out and gave yeah. it to someone else because it was literally a museum. It had 25 years' worth of game warden memorabilia, mm -hmm. so you can imagine what it might look like. And yeah, I had some interesting photos and some gadgets, too, that I picked up along the way. But. It's funny because that is my office behind me. That's when I when I took it down. That's it's pretty much what I brought and made my backdrop and stuff. But again, looking at your backdrop, Benny, I mean, you, you got the moose antler, the hearth, uh, state of Texas. There, what's inside that state of Texas? Is that because it looks like it's it's framed up for other things? Those are arrowheads. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, some of which I found and some of which I made myself. I got I, I started collecting those when I was a little kid. Yeah, I was just fascinated with them, and I, I don't know. I've probably fifty thousand. <laughs> just wow, I have buckets of them, you know. But I've been hunting since I was a little kid. But I was so fascinated with them, and I started trying at an early age, and I got to where I was pretty. I can I can make them pretty good too, uh, rival any that you'd find. So I make some, but I find most of them, and I, st I still enjoy getting out and looking in the creeks and, and finding those. Right. That moose antler. That's an, there's an interesting story behind that moose antler. I've had it since 1980. I uh, was flying in a helicopter in the state of Wyoming on, in a summer job. And, uh, I, you know, I was just, that was the first time I'd ever been to the Rocky Mountains. And I was like a kid in a candy shop. And I was looking out that helicopter and I saw that moose antler on the side of a mountain. And I, I immediately knew what it was. And I insisted. I started pecking the pilot. I said, go back, go back. He's like, ah. I said, go back, go back. And he could see I was really, so he turns around, he flies me back. He lowers the helicopter down and lets me out. I grab my antler, put it in the chopper. And off we go. And I've had it ever since. <laughs> so that's awesome yep i've had it a long time that's that's an awesome story about that moose antler no uh, it means something man i can't believe you got him to turn around and let you out to get a moose antler <laughs> well we we worked on a pretty uh i worked on a seismograph crew and our uh we flew around in helicopters to get from mountaintop to mountaintop or whatever and, and that that particular pilot he was he was a mm, he was a character so he was on board with a lot of things, <laughs> but I was, I was 18 at the time. And I guess he could saw the excitement in my eyes wanting that moose antler. So he, he made it possible. That's, that's incredible. And to, to, to bring that all the way through. So, yeah. And I've got several things from my adventures across the country that too, that I collected and some similar things, uh, you know, a mule deer from out West that when I was working out in Washington state and collected that along the way, but so certainly, uh, as we do that, they, they, they're priceless stories. And, you know, hopefully you can come out with another book with another 28 stories so we can uh, continue because there's, there's nothing like a game warden story. And that's why I love doing this podcast, love sharing it, love telling people what we do, and hopefully inspiring the next generation. And I, I'd really appreciate you, Benny, doing it. It sounds like we're cut from the same cloth, so to speak, as I think we all are when yeah. we're game wardens. Yeah, you get a bunch of game wardens together, you find out how, you know, there, it's like a brotherhood and, they all have the same thought processes and interests most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Anything in closing? Because uh, this is much your podcast. This is my podcast. So, well, I just I, I really I've enjoyed it. I appreciate the invitation to come on and talk to you. And I, I put one more plug for my book. Absolutely, uh, Tales of a Texas Game Warden, and it said what my eyes have seen. We yeah. talked about that, but uh, yeah, you can get it through Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, any of the big book outlets, but. Yeah, I, uh, I hope everybody gets it, and I hope they enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm already thinking about uh, maybe following it up with a companion book. No, that, that's that's great, and I really appreciate you doing that because, uh, yeah, it just it helps the next generations and, and preserves our stories, too, because I think yeah. that they're, each one of them is precious, especially to us. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Benny, join, for joining us. Uh, Appreciate your time on Lone Star Law because that certainly gives a lot of connection to a lot of my listeners. I will say that I, I call it the backstage of Northwoods Law, and this is the backstage of Lone Star Law, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, uh, and just everybody, certainly I think the podcast has been a success because of a lot of those people that actually visually saw them, and now they, they want a little bit more. They want to learn about game wardens across the United States uh, and, and just uh, understand mm -hmm. us more, hear those stories, and uh yeah, support us, too. That's, that's, that's a big part of uh, if you can't be a game warden, you want to support the game wardens. Exactly. Cool. Well, Wayne, thank you very much. I do appreciate you. God bless. And tell everybody up there I said hello.
Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.